you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Play action, rolling right, Baker, wanting to go deep. He's going to sling it for the end zone, looking for DD. He's got it! Oh, mama! He's got a touchdown! Mahomes steps back, four-man rush. He's throwing deep again, and this time wide open for the catch and the touchdown, Red Raiders! Good morning. It is Friday, January 15th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. And you just listened to a little audio clippage from Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes' collegiate duel in 2016 when Baker and Oklahoma won 66-59 to over Mahomes and Texas Tech. The numbers were insane. Mayfield had seven passing touchdowns. Mahomes had 819 total yards, which is an FBS record. And they're playing this weekend in the NFL playoffs. And when I say NFL... That means we got to bring in Kevin Boylard, CBS sports NFL guru. Kevin, I pitched you to come on to talk about the collegeification, if that's a word, of the NFL and how we're going to have this Mahomes-Mayfield rivalry uh, happen again this weekend in the wild card, or not the wild card, the, the divisional round between the Browns and Chiefs. But we clearly have to start, if we're talking college and the NFL, we have to start with Urban Meyer is going to be the new Jaguars coach. Yeah, that was not necessarily shocking because the steps have been in place. But uh, yeah, on Thursday morning, that news kind of dropping that he's going to be the next Jaguars coach. And I think, uh, yeah, it's like you said, collegeification is the word you used. More and more of these coaches are coming up through the college ranks to the NFL and uh, more NFL franchises, I guess you should say, are emboldened to let guys take that leap. Because there was a while there when that was not a thing where it was kind of generally perceived as that's not going to be successful, the college from the NFL leap. But we've seen it just recently in the past few years with Cliff Kingsbury coming up from Texas Tech to the Arizona Cardinals, (laughs) Matt Rule from Baylor to uh, the Carolina Panthers, and now Urban Meyer not coaching last at Ohio state and now to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm sure he had some NFL stops before that, but Doug Marone was the Syracuse head coach, former Jacks coach now. Yeah. That's an interesting one to, to mention. I, I was thinking of, uh, you know, a few others who had some NFL stops before the ones I just mentioned, Cliff Kingsbury played in the NFL, Matt rule coached for a little bit with the giants. What separates urban Meyer is he doesn't have any, NFL background at all. And the one he's kind of being compared to is Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson didn't have any NFL background when he went from Miami to the Dallas Cowboys. And I think it's actually a pretty good comparison because Jimmy Johnson came to the Cowboys in the midst of a massive tank job where they were just, you know, they had a ton of assets after the Herschel Walker trade. That's where the Jaguars are right now. They've got four picks in the top 45 in next year's draft, including two first rounders. They're projected to have $80 million in cap space, which is the most in the NFL. And they've got a lot of young talent on both sides of the ball. I think that the Jaguars were the first to get this done. So they got their guy that they wanted in Urban Meyer. I think they're going to be committed to him uh, to build this franchise in his image. And uh, it's an exciting time, I guess, if you're one of the few Jaguars fans out there because they're one of the smallest market teams in the NFL. 
I feel like he's kind of carpet bagging, jumping onto the Jaguars, who are the NFL's most woebegone franchise at a time where they're set up for a massive run. I don't know if he's going to be a very good NFL coach. His advantage in college was having more talent than everybody, because and he was such a good recruiter. Now, as you say, the Jags have four top 45 picks. They've got a lot of cap space. They do have some young talent. So they'll have Trevor Lawrence. You know, like that's, he, he's going to stock himself up up well. I think it's overblown. People are talking about, oh, he hates to lose. How is he going to handle Jacksonville? Unless Urban Meyer is a total psychopath, he's not going to wig out over a loss to the Chiefs. You, like it just, it just happens. I think the, the bigger issue, Kevin, I, I'd be interested in, in what you have to say about this. And this is also a, a talking point. Can Urban Meyer, who it was great at not just recruiting, but program alignment and getting everyone in the building on the same page and relating to these kids and, and motivating them, does that work in the NFL? It can work. There's many ways to make it work in the NFL. Not all coaches are aligned. And actually, I think that this new CEO type, I guess, uh, quote unquote, that you're hearing about where you know the coach has an overall view of the franchise more hand in the uh, you know the personnel uh, and kind of a partial general manager. Urban Meyer's not going to hold the general manager position. They're going to hire someone else, but I'm pretty sure he's going to have a large say in who they bring in and who they draft and who they sign in free agency. But I think that fits a college coach more. It might be why uh, Matt Rule was given so much uh, long-term contract with the Carolina Panthers and a lot of control in the front office uh, after you know coming from Baylor. I think that they look at him as a program builder, where the other route you can kind of go is these offensive minds that are coming up. And usually it's these young offensive or defensive coordinators, more typically the offensive side of the ball. Another one who's made in a, a you know, an amazing ascension who's now getting head coach interviews already after just one year as a coordinator, Joe Brady, who was previously before the offensive coordinator of the Panthers was the uh, passing game coordinator for 2019 LSU. And he's just been on this meteoric skyrocket rise uh, since then. And uh, he's kind of the other direction you can go as opposed to this program builder CEO type. You can go with this offensive mind who is going to, you know, strategize and put your team at a advantage by always thinking one step ahead of every other defensive coordinator across the league. And Joe Brady is one who before LSU, he had NFL background with the Saints. So that's important to note as well. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of the next Sean McVay where not only is his stock rising, but people who have been touched by him, their stock is rising too. He's got his own little coaching tree at LSU. Just just hired some guys who've worked under him to, to be their new offensive coordinator. They sorely missed him in 2020. And then I think South Carolina hired his assistant offensive line coach at the Panthers to be the OC at South Carolina too. So if you mentioned just like two years ago, if you said, oh, worked with Sean McVay, get him a job. Now it's, oh, work with Joe Brady, get him a job. And I like that you broke it into two different two different buckets, the the management and then the offensive wizardry because Matt Rule's in the management and Cliff Kingsbury, who I'm a big believer in still, is in the offensive wizardry bucket. Now I'm starting to kind of have concerns about Cliff and his long-term prospects in the NFL. And I think the Cardinals were a little disappointing the second half of the season or a lot disappointing. They didn't even make the playoffs after Hale Murray and all that stuff. Is, is it important, Kevin, for guys like Cliff Kingsbury and guys like Matt Rule, who seems to be doing a good job, is it important for those people to succeed so that the NFL keeps trying to go back to the college well? Because I could just like play this out. If, if Cliff flounders in Arizona and Matt Rule never really builds the Ron Rivera winner that the Panthers are used to, 
are some NFL people going to get a little bit stuffy and say, let's, why are we, why are we looking at the college ranks? Let's, let's just, let's just rehire John Fox. Yeah. And look at the, you know, past decade or so that I was mentioning earlier in the podcast is there was deterrence from getting those guys from college because of the lack of success they'd seen over, you know, the past five, six, however many guys it was that were hired and failed uh, to do that. Cliff Kingsbury, I think, is on the cusp of it. Not only has he not had a winning season in the NFL yet in two seasons, if you go back to his time at Texas Tech, he's only had two winning seasons as a head coach since 2013. So, and his last one came in 2015. So there is a ton of hype around a guy in an offensive mind that really hasn't produced many wins in his tenure as head coach. I do think he has some some forward-thinking ideas. And halfway through the season, people were saying he might be the best and the most forward-thinking coach in the NFC West. Now, turns out two of his rivals made the playoffs. Sean McVay is still pretty good. And yeah. Pete Carroll can get the job done too in a way more old-fashioned type of approach. So I think that you're right. Matt Rule, who didn't have a great first season, I, they started hot. No. Uh, they were three and two at one point. Uh, and then they finished with uh, only four or five wins. And uh, they're going to get a top draft pick. Um, he'll have to probably settle that quarterback situation. I think you got to, you know, Cliff at least has Kyler Murray. Teddy Bridgewater was always viewed as a bridge quarterback. When he gets his quarterback, uh, then we'll be able to make a more efficient judgment on how he looks. But I think the clock's already ticking on Cliff. I feel like the coaches, like the Cliff Kingsbury thing, that happened because his pupils, like Patrick Mahomes was probably the most important one, showed that you can go from the air raid and the the maybe the Texas Tech system quarterback and you can succeed in the NFL. I'm looking at these playoff games, Kevin, and... It's actually an interesting split. Okay, so like Rams Packers. When I watch Jared Goff now, I I wonder what happened because at Cal he was just the quintessential gunslinger, kind of skinny, but a real great whippy arm. The guy who just wakes up and throws for 400 yards, but he's going against Aaron Rodgers. So it's, you know, oh, Cal versus Cal, just realized that. Ravens Bills, two really polarizing draft prospects coming out of college, but two first rounders. I'll tell you right now, I was not a big Josh Allen guy. I was clearly wrong. Browns Chiefs, that's a big 12 quarterback battle. And, and Baker Mayfield played under Cliff Kingsbury for a year or two. And then Bucks Saints, those, those QBs are too old to really glean any sort of college angle there. But for Browns Chiefs, and even maybe for Packers Rams, because of what the Rams have Jared Goff doing, I do think it's a bit perplexing that Baker Mayfield has gone from, you know, throw it 40 times a game and, and air this thing out. And that's why you're the number one pick to a uh, play action ground game maestro and that Jared Goff has done the same thing. Do you think both of their coaches just had to quickly realize they weren't quite the uh, prolific passers that we thought they could be out of college? I think Baker Mayfield could be in a different system. I don't know how successful it would be, but if you look at his statistics this year compared to his statistics from his rookie year, he threw for fewer touchdown passes in 16 games this year than he did in 13 starts as a rookie uh, when he won the NFL Rookie of the Year. He threw the ball more his rookie year, but they didn't win a lot of games. I think that Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the Browns, has found a winning formula. They like to hand the ball off to Nick Chubb and a little bit of Kareem Hunt mixed in there as well. And that is what stirs the drink, so to speak, for the Browns. It's the same thing in LA. They like to run the ball. They don't have a specific running back that they always go to. Cam Akers has really come on here in the second half of of his rookie year, but they could go to anybody. It's more about setting up that play action and having Jared Goff work out of that. The really tricky thing about Jared Goff is this thumb surgery that he had 
And there were some talks or some speculation that even if he was healthy enough to start the game, which we saw him finish the game when John Walford went down with a head injury or neck injury, they said that he might've been actually benched and John Walford was the guy they wanted to go to because he was a little more athletic, could make more plays with his feet. I've long thought that Jared Goff has been the limiting factor of a very potent Los Angeles Rams offense, but Ultimately, if John Walford didn't get hurt, would he have been able to, for 60 minutes, duel with Russell Wilson and win the game? I don't know. The Rams defense has a lot going for them. They're the number one scoring defense in the NFL. But ultimately, I think Jared Goff gives you the experience to to not turn the ball over, which was a huge reason why they didn't uh, lose the game against the Seahawks and um, why they may be able to beat the Packers this weekend. Because if you look at Aaron Rodgers' history, he doesn't have a great one against uh, number one scoring defenses. And he's got a, Aaron, uh, Aaron Donald in his face this week, assuming he's 100% healthy and ready to go. And uh, on the outside, Jalen Ramsey uh, potentially locking down his number one receiver in Devontae Adams. If we dropped Patrick Mahomes into the NFL 15 years ago, what does it look like? Man, that's tricky because the NFL looked so different. And even if you had him on the Eagles 15 years ago playing with Andy Reid, I I don't know if they would have figured it out to this level. I think there had to be several levels and years of evolution to take place before, you know, a guy like Tyreek Hill who looks the way he does five foot eight, I guess. And, you know, super fast. Like that guy's maybe a punt returner in the NFL 15 years ago. Is he a number one receiver? Absolutely not. Uh, You know, and uh, I think also you look at his other big weapon, uh, Travis Kelsey, they didn't have tight ends who could run routes like he did 15 years ago. Uh, He'd be throwing it to, you know, a big, bodied blocking tight end. Uh, and just, yeah. And it wouldn't be as dynamic. So I think there had to be a lot of offensive evolution to take place for a Patrick Mahomes to take over the league, but he's the perfect guy in the perfect place playing under the perfect coach in the perfect system right now. That's the thing with him. It's the perfect, perfect coach, perfect system, all that talent. You, you still love college football. You watch, you watch both You're a football junkie. I think it's pretty obvious that the trends that are here to stay creative quarterback play, um, let them do what makes them the most comfortable. Let Josh Allen do his thing. Let let Lamar Jackson do his thing. Are there any college football trends that you don't really see working in the NFL? Even if 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 we think we do, I, I I would if I was an NFL guy, I would I would resist any further narratives that I need to be drafting a Saquon Barkley number two or as we're going to have this conversation soon, a Devonte Smith number two. I don't know. Like I saw them talking about that on Get Up, and yeah, Devonte Smith is great, and and I don't know. Like I I think sometimes it. It's in the if you're in the NFL, you have to be a little bit wary of a college player having such a a superstar aura around him that you're you're almost going blind to positional value. Like, I, did, did the, in, in hindsight, is that is that did the Giants do that with Saquon? Like, do they make that pick again? I don't know if they make the pick, and I honestly I think that the mistake is less the pick and more the contract that you give him potentially four years later. Uh, look at Ezekiel Elliott; his contract looks. Horrible, but yeah. they got great value out of him for the fourth overall pick for his rookie deal. I mean, the way he produced for his first four years was fantastic. Now, if the Giants turn around here and sign Saquon Barkley to a mega long-term deal without knowing really what the future is for him, you could be in some trouble. The Panthers could be in that trouble with Christian McCaffrey in a couple of years. They looked like a better team without him than they did with him this year at some points. 
I don't know if there's really a specific thing that the NFL wouldn't do that the college football is doing, because I think college football and high school football too are kind of these bastions for creativity that ultimately work their way up into the NFL. One thing that I do think is going to keep making its way into the NFL is uh, college football moves so quick and they move on to the next guy so fast. Uh, And one guy, I'm not sure why he's coming to mind right now, but Kyle Trask, Kyle Trask uh, for so many years was a backup in Florida and not thought, thought of much uh, behind Felipe Franks. And then he gets his chance. He's great. And then this year he was putting up astronomical numbers. And I think that people see NFL team see, oh, you can change. You can go in a completely different direction. Look at the way the Cardinals just dumped Josh Rosen after one year, a top 10 pick to go and get Kyler Murray. Look at the way the Dolphins are talking about Tua Tungavailoa. This is, you know, anonymous Dolphins right now and some reports that are out there that saying they're not sold on him and they could make a move, potentially a trade for Deshaun Watson, who reportedly wants out of Houston. I think that these teams are getting more and more fearless, kind of like college programs are. They're less committed to their star players and willing to move on to the next guy. If there's a guy coming up in the draft that could be better than the guy you have now, there's no fear. We talk about trickle up. College football right now has a parity crisis. You know it. You watch the same teams every single New Year's Day, whatever. Outside of leveling the talent field, which we're just not going to be able to do down here, Kevin, is there something from the NFL that colleges might like to look into perhaps defensively. I I just, I'm a little bit worried about the sport and a little bit envious when I turn on my NFL games and everything's so close. Yeah. I think there's just things naturally in the NFL, uh, such as collective bargaining and and CBA stuff like that, that, uh, and revenue sharing that, that make it impossible on the college side to replicate in terms of creating parity. I really think it has less to do with the scheme and more about the talent distribution. There's no NFL draft for college or, or college draft coming out of high school, so to speak, or, or or things that limit the amount a certain program can spend and they have to, you know, Ohio State's got to kick some of its money back to Cincinnati or something yeah. like that. You know, that just doesn't exist on the college level. And I do think that there is a little bit of a parity crisis in, in college football, but um, I, I don't know. I'll kick this back to you. I, I don't think that expanding uh, a playoff, so to speak, or something like that is going to fix the, the issue. I don't know if there is a is a quick fix like that, that that can come top down and just create parity all of a sudden in college football. So here's the deal with the expansion of the playoff and why I'd be for it. Yes, I agree with you that if th- if the playoff semifinal one versus four right now is ugly, then one versus eight is going to be even worse. But that to me is not what it's really about. It's getting four more teams involved. And when I say four more teams, the potential there is pretty great. Kevin, we haven't had a playoff, uh, a, a Pac-12 team in the playoffs since 2016. College football is losing that region. We talk about footprint. We're losing it. Go get a Pac-12 team. I don't care if they lose by 42 to Alabama in round one. Go get them in. Get a group of five team in. Make everybody feel like they have a chance. Get get two or three SEC teams or two ACC teams if, if that's what you want. But it's such an exclusive party right now. And in turn, all these recruits are going to one of five schools that they're just nobody else has a chance. And it's getting to a point. I did a Tennessee podcast yesterday. Like Tennessee is probably never going to win a national title like in in the current college football climate. And that's just crazy. It's just not how it should be. So yes, the best teams will continue to win playoff games and the best teams will continue to win the national title. But getting more teams in the mix is vital for the strength of the sport moving forward. Because I'm, I'm, you look at the ratings and they're down, but 
again, what ratings weren't down th- this year. And it's, it's clear that people cared a little bit less about sports, but I think to me, I, I it's, it's getting more people involved in the playoff. And I think it's, it's so cool in the NFL that, and I, I do love college more than the, the, than the NFL. Don't get me wrong, but you're good for a few years and then you're not so good, but then you bounce back and you're good again in college. When you're down, it's hard to get back up. Yeah. In fact, uh, now we're getting to the point where you look at the Jaguars and the Jets and their fans are rooting for them to be bad so they can tank because with tanking comes more cap space, comes more draft picks. Uh, and I would say that, you know, that doesn't really help the sport either. So, you know, college doesn't have that luxury either. Last thing before I let you go, I forgot to ask you about this when we were talking about coaches and I, and I moved on to the QBs. Bill O'Brien, going back to Alabama, we have a big Alabama audience, so you got to be a little bit polite. And he doesn't have any sort of personnel control, so don't worry. Offensively, what did he do with the Texans that you like that he could do at Alabama? I actually like Bill O'Brien more than, I guess you could say, the meme hates uh, Bill O'Brien. This is a dude who won the AFC South multiple years in a row. And yeah, he didn't win the playoff games, but he took a team there that was, uh, you know, under talented at times. And the AFC South wasn't the most competitive division, but someone had to win it. And he was the one more, more often than not that did. I, I thought he actually was quite responsible for a lot of Deshaun Watson's early career success. And uh, it, it was more so the general manager stuff, as you mentioned, the, the trading away of draft picks and assets and DeAndre Hopkins and stuff like that, that ultimately uh, did him in. It really wasn't anything on the field until this season's 0-4 start. I mean, just last year, this time last year, he was up you know, 34 to 10 or whatever it was on the chiefs, uh, in the divisional round, you know, so how quickly things can change, I guess you could say, and how, how narratives shift. And if Nick Saban trusts them enough to bring him onto his staff and kind of rehabilitate his image a little bit, I think that's a good thing uh, for Bill O'Brien and Alabama fans should be happy to have someone with that kind of NFL influence on their staff. Well said, Kevin. I love it. I, I shoehorned you into a prompt and you crushed it. I'm excited about the divisional round Rams, Packers, and Ravens Bills on Saturday. Browns, Chiefs, and Buccaneers, Saints on Sunday. Sunday is the best day, right? That's that's way better. I think it's the best weekend. At me as a diehard NFL fan, it's the best weekend of of NFL action of the year. You get yeah, sports four, too. Four games, eight of the best teams left. It's great. Yeah, we're we're gonna treasure it. Kevin Boylard, follow him on Twitter at Kevin Boylard. Appreciate you joining us, man. Hey, Trey, I'll catch you next time. Okay, thank you again to Kevin Boylard for joining us, my good friend. It's always fun to talk to him about the NFL. Enjoy these last few games. The uh, basketball season is around the corner once once football is over. We're taking Monday off for MLK Day, and, and we will talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.